Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to tell you, as I have been saying for the last three weeks, that it's just no fair this year. No great state of Texas state fair. Except that the people at the state fair made an alternative fair experience for everybody. So there was a fair, the alternative great state fair of Texas. Now, my family and I signed up to go, as you might imagine, because we're big fans of the state fair. It was anticipated that the trip would be about a two-hour trip. That's what the projections were being said on, on the, on, for people who were preparing to come. Well, our trip started at about 10.30 and ended that afternoon close to 5 o'clock. So our trip that started out as a two-hour trip became a five-hour trip. Three, hour, three and a half hours spent just in a line of cars trying to get to the front of the line. There were five of us in our car, Stephanie and I, one 13-year-old, and two little boys. We had a quarter tank of gas, and once you were in the line, you couldn't get out of it. I mean, there was no way to get out. It's not like at Six Flags when you can duck under the ropes. You, you could not get out of the line. And so we saw a friend who was going to get gas for his car and asked him to get us some. So also, we came on this trip with no tablets and no food, only our water bottles. Now, fortunately, the boys had eaten breakfast, but not the other three of us. So during our three-and-a-half-hour wait, we rampaged in Stephanie's car all the snacks that she had squirreled away in her car. Some of them were pretty old. It was quite the experience. We did, however, have water bottles, have our water bottles, so that was a savior. And fortunately for us, all five of us, there were porta-potties all along the way. So... That was our experience. There we were, rolling forward, oh, so gradually. No fair. <laughs> and I would just like to say that when I read this gospel reading earlier in the week, I thought to myself, no fair. No fair for preachers to have to preach on this text. And I mean, this is one of the most difficult gospel stories to read and to understand. All the commentators say it's difficult. No fair. And then there are the publicans, tax collectors, the harlots, prostitutes, and sinners, all of us, who are going to enter the kingdom of God before the chief priests and elders, the good religious people. Oh, well, those were the people who kept the order and culture together. They were the people who kept the economy going. They were the people 
who went to synagogue and temple on a regular basis, prayed regularly. Not unlike us, right? Then there are the brothers. How do we make sense out of this? How could we possibly make sense out of this story? Not fair, not fair, just not fair. So let's talk about what we know and don't know and see if we can figure this out. I think it's safe to say that the conversations between Jesus and the religious authorities are ramping up. This story and parable follow Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem with palm branches and his going into the temple and overturning the tables. So the religious authorities are on edge and so are the followers of Jesus. Jesus is the one calling out the religious leaders for the way they are missing the point of what God wants for people and the world. They are missing the point of deep personal relationship with God and with others. For all their rules are blinding them. You see, the religious authorities, as oftentimes people in authority do, have become rigid in their thinking and their behavior. They have narrowed their scope of who God is and how God acts in the world. They have let fear define their thoughts and actions, fear of losing what they have, fear of control over things, fear of the future. And now they are imposing it on everyone else. They see Jesus in direct opposition to their leadership and what they believe to be right and true. And as their tradition is used to using questions and answers to get to the bottom of things, that is exactly what they do with Jesus. They ask him questions in order to sort of trick him into showing his real hand, in order to hoping that that he will make a mistake so that they can um, arrest him or take him away or, or maybe more importantly, reduce and, and, and make his message less powerful. And Jesus, being the good rabbi that he is, turns the tables on them with the example of John the Baptist, surely to the delight of those regular folks listening in, who many of whom had probably been baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus usually does, he uses a parable to illustrate his point. But the parable is difficult, isn't it? I mean, though it might be easy to come down on the side of Actions speak louder than words, even though words, the word, is important and can be powerful change agents. I mean, we can't just leave it at that. Two sons, at the request of their father to go do work in the vineyard, the first says, I won't go, but then changes his mind and does. The second says, I go, but then doesn't. The question Jesus poses is, who has done the will of the father? So, the, the authorities are right in saying the first son who had a change of heart, who had a change of mind, who had a change of soul. And Jesus wants them to consider who is their authority. Who's the authority for the religious leaders of the day? Who is the authority for the followers of Jesus? Who is the one that will show us how our thoughts and behaviors will reflect the God we love? How our thoughts and behaviors will make a difference in how we are in the world? 
It's all about this and so much more. So consider, if you will, what is happening right now in our world and in our country. The question of authority, everywhere we turn is up for grabs. We have some people calling for change, demonstrating for change, pr protesting for change. We have others who slip into fear when change is in the air, when they feel their authority is being challenged, when they want control, and when they seek conformity. Richard Rohr, the Franciscan and Catholic, the Franciscan brother and Catholic priest, wrote these words about kind of how we fall into this. He writes, verbal orthodoxy has been Christianity's preoccupation. At times, even allowing us to burn people at the stake for not saying it right. We end up spreading national cultures under the rubric of Jesus, instead of universally liberating the message under the name of Christ. What I call an incarnational worldview is the profound recognition of the presence of the divine literally in everything and in everyone. Roar continues, I would go so far as to say that the proof that you are a mature Christian is that you can see Christ everywhere. Authentic God experience always expands your seeing and never constricts it. What else would be worthy of God? In God, you do not include less and less. You include more and more. And it is from this place that we lose any fear we have about entering into discussion, entering into prayer, entering into friendship with people of other faith traditions, or, let me add, the obvious other points of view. So what are we to make of this? Well, we could just walk out the door and shut the Bible and say, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need to make anything of this. Or we could wrestle with it until God blesses us. Here are some ideas that I think will require us to focus on the parable of the sons, which, of course, is the place where Jesus is doing his teaching in the parable. Perhaps we can hear in this parable the surprising possibility of hope that someone who has refused to listen to God may yet change their mind. And that wouldn't be any of us, would it? Maybe there is hope that it's never too late to respond to the grace of the gospel. Hope that one's past actions or current status do not de determine one's future. That there is for all of us hope that even those good folk, meaning all of us, and all those whom we see as beyond the pale of decent society are never, ever beyond God's reach. Then, if all this is so, perhaps the first thing we can proclaim is that no matter what may have happened to us in the past, God is eager to meet us in the present and offer us a new future. In other words, it is never too late, as God is here, inviting each of us into the kingdom that not only lives out in front of us, but has the capacity to shape every moment of our here and now. It is what the great theologian Paul Tillich said when he coined the phrase, the eternal now. Each of our moments is pregnant with the possibility of receiving God's grace, repenting, which means changing our mind, going the other way, repenting of things we've done, left undone, or were done to us returning to right relationship with God and those around us, 
receiving our futures as open rather than already determined. Second, maybe we can proclaim that God's promise about an open future shapes this present here and now. So can we look inside ourselves for those things? Those things that are holding us back from receiving God's promises? What things do we hold on to that make it difficult to believe and accept God's forgiveness or to imagine that the future can be different than the past? Then can we look at those who hold different political views, cultural differences and understandings, those who are frightened about the future that may include some of us? We can't know the motivations or experiences of others. And be, be certain and hear me say that when we feel like injustice is at work in the world, we have to, as faithful Christians, stand and speak the truth to power because words matter. Words can change things. But maybe, maybe knowing that God is reaching out to each of us, including you and me, including those with whom we disagree, with the gift of acceptance and love and forgiveness that are the hallmarks of the kingdom of Jesus, then we can see an open future, a new future. I don't need to tell you that we are living in a time of grave and destructive division, not just in our country, but in the world. And without undervaluing the importance of values and beliefs and concerns that underlie some of those divisions, can we remind ourselves that beneath all of it, all of those differences, is a profound commonality and solidarity and that we're all children of God whom God loves and adores and is still speaking to right here and now. Being reminded of that might we take a little more time to listen to each other? Try to understand? Try to listen for God's calling to us and our community to live together in community rather than in isolation? I think it would be wrong to proclaim no fair that the tax collectors, prostitutes, and other sinners who had changed their minds hear that who had changed their minds, had entered the new future God had for them, and would do that before the religious authorities who were still clinging to their narrow vision of who God is. Instead, wouldn't we be more like Jesus to see his deep desire that those who were holding God to a rigid grace be introduced to a new future? Yesterday, I told you my family and I spent five hours in the car together on what was supposed to be and started out to be a fun two-hour trip to the new great state fair of Texas. Yes, it was trying. Yes, tempers, well, my temper flailed. Yes, it was easy to judge the people who just wouldn't pull up when they were supposed to and keep the line moving. Yes, we, well... All but Sydney wanted to get out of there. But then we got to the front of the line. And then we got to the corny dogs and the cotton candy. 
in the picture with big text. And suddenly, all was right in the world. And we determined that it was, in fact, a great day at the great state fair of Texas. So we're in this difficult time. And we're all in it together. And yes, timbers flare. And yes, we turn to judgment more quickly than we do to love. But God has a future in mind, a future for us, a future that while we're in this line together, a future we can't even imagine. Still, it is there, being held out for us, all of us, not some of us, all of us. A new future awaiting our yes, and then all of us, all of us will come rolling into the future together. May it be so. Amen.